Simon, do you see this woman? I think this may be one of the most important questions we Christians should be asking ourselves. In fact, I'm convinced that if... All right, Dave, this one is not working. Whoa, that is definitely not going to help me. I have hard enough time seeing it without that going around. I'd love to see this one. That's okay. That's better than movement. I'd be seasick by the time I finish there. Wow. We'll have to tighten it up, maybe. Thanks, Dave. So, I think this is the most important question we Christians should be asking ourselves today. In fact, I think if Jesus were to walk among us today the way he walked among us before, he would be asking us this question. Do you see this woman? Simon obviously didn't. If you listen closely to that reading, Simon saw a woman. He saw her sins. He saw her occupation. He saw her place in society. He saw her acting completely inappropriately. He saw her reputation. He saw a problem. But he didn't see this woman. But Jesus did. Jesus sees people. He's always looking beyond the obvious to the person, and he sees the person he loves, the person he died for. He sees all the potential and possibility. He sees the backstory and understands why they do what they do and why they live the way they live. He sees them reaching out for redemption. Sometimes silently, sometimes when they don't even know they are themselves. And he offers them love, forgiveness, grace. And here's the thing. He never stops seeing everyone, including each of us, that way. For that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's good news, isn't it? Isn't it? At times, all of us in our own lives, isn't it good to know someone really sees our story and really knows us? We need that. We need that. It's good to be known. For sometimes it can seem as though no one really sees us, right? I remember when I was a kid during those awkward teenage angst days, Amy Mann, I was a big fan of Amy Mann, there was a band called Till Tuesday, she came out of Berkeley in Boston. And uh, she had this one song, and these were the lyrics. She said, so I guess I'll give it up. Yeah, I guess I will. What's the use in pushing when it's all uphill? I can't be appointed keeper of the flame. Without two to carry, it won't burn the same. Now, there is no way I could have been in any situation at 18 years old that warranted such despair for being so alone. All right, that was not me at 18. So what I'm guessing is, it must have been teenage romance gone bad or something like that back then that made me love this song so much. But now, being quite a bit older and having experienced and witnessed the countless ways life in this broken world can be so tragic and unforgiving, I see the haunting way these lyrics can be an anthem for so many. It can feel as if we're alone, can it, sometimes? That no one sees us? It can feel as if no one else understands our suffering or understands our circumstances. No one else understands our broken heart. Our solitary laboring day in and day out with what our individual struggles are. It can feel as though our pain is singularly unique. That's why we always have 
there are often, you know, groups that we tell people to get involved with that are going through the same thing. You've lost a child, get involved in a group, someone else will understand. You've lost a husband, someone else will understand. And those are all great. We need that kind of understanding, don't we? But even there, if you've ever been in those groups, you still sit there sort of silently thinking, yeah, but they don't know what it's like to be me. It can feel as though we are the only one fighting the good fight. The only one trying to change the world. We're the only one trying to love in a culture of hate. It can feel as though we are the only person carrying pain. Later in this song, Amy Mann sings, I wish you believed in life. Obviously, she too knew how lonely life could be. She wished someone could see her. So here's the good news for all of us. Jesus does see us. Jesus sees you. And if you don't think anyone else does, just trust that Jesus sees you. But on the other side of this equation is what about us? What about us? Do we see others? I mean, really see others? If we are going to live out the greatest commandment, I think we should. I think we should see others. Or at least we should try to see others. Klein Snodgrass writes it like this. The kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world. That's good news. But grace that does not bring forth a response is grace unknown. Christians today too frequently think grace can be received without effect and without response. That is impossible. If we care about what God has done for us, Gratitude, that response in acts will be present. Part of that response will be to develop the ability to see people. We need to be able to see beyond the obvious in the form of people to see who they actually are, what their needs are, and what their potential is. Only then can the love of God find an avenue through. And this isn't just a biblical scholar. This is just basically rewording in our vernacular, what Jesus said very clearly. If you don't forgive, it's because you haven't been forgiven. So here's a question that I want to suggest gently and as humbly as I know how. If you find that your posture in life is one of hate and judgment and exclusivity and intolerance and self-protection then I am just going to gently, gently suggest as best as I can, you should probably get together with God, no matter how long you have assumed you're a Christian. I'm sorry if that has been the presentation of Christianity to you, that you just need to embrace a certain amount of facts. I'm sorry. You should probably get together with God. Because if... If you don't at least recognize when you are living like that, it's not the way God intends us to live, then you need to get together with God. That is not the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit in us sees us all the same. We are all forgiven the same. There is no one that needs more forgiveness than us. We do that. 
we think, oh, those people are that people, are them, da, 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 and on and on and on the list goes. That's all well and great in the world. But for those of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ, I just want to gently suggest we might want to get together with God because maybe we're not followers of Christ. The Bible is an indicative story. It's not an imperative story. You don't have to do any of this. But the Bible teaches that once we have recognized that we really needed forgiveness and God has forgiven us, we are then going to live a different way. Or at least want to live a different way. We all struggle to live that way. That's fine. But some of us, I know in times in my own life, I don't even want to live that way. And that's what always makes me get on my knees and say, God, what is wrong if I don't want to live like this? When we see people, we need to be able to see beyond the obvious and see people. Only then can the love of God find an avenue through us. And that's what I want to explore today. We have looked at this in the past, this story, for other reasons. I want to look at it different today. A couple weeks ago, I started talking about community, and I want to do that today, looking through this lens. Because, and I'm going to follow up next week as well, so I hope you can be here on Palm Sunday, our celebration. But I think it will become clear as we look today and next week that authentic community starts with the willingness to see the other. Because here's the thing. Community requires relationship. Now, I want to make a side note before I get into this. Friendship is not a prerequisite to community. Okay? This is very important to hear. Friendship is not a prerequisite to community. I do believe that friendship can develop out of community. I believe that. And community can lead to wonderful friendships. But making the mistake of thinking one needs to build friendship to create community is often the biggest barrier to community. Because friendships don't always lead to community. In fact, sometimes friendships lead to the exact opposite. There are often churches that are filled with cliques and divisions because of friendships and the way friendships form. See, friendship is easy. And listen, I'm not saying anything bad about friendships. Friendships are beautiful and they're important and we need them. But what I'm trying to talk about and what I think the biblical narrative is, is it's much bigger than friendship. It's about community. Friendship anybody can do. Community takes grace. Community takes the Holy Spirit. See, when we only push into relationship with people that make easy friends or are friends and avoid relationship with others because, well, they're just not my type of person. Oh, their personality, I don't like their personality. You know, I don't have anything in common with them. Or they do things that, or have said things that hurt me. Oh, okay. But that's not community. That's friendship. And I think sometimes we Christians confuse the two or maybe have never understood they're two totally different things. I'm not asking anyone here to be friends. What I'm asking is let's be community. Anyone can be friends with people we get along with and that we have similar likes with and that we connect with. Anybody can do that. Simon's buddies did that. And Jesus showed up and said, Simon, this group of friends you have isn't what 
the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about this woman, Simon. Do you see her? So Christian community is asking for authentic relationship, and it's pushing into relationship without prejudice, without bias, and without judgment. And that requires seeing each other. How many of us have made judgments about other people based on surface interactions? Or maybe based on even prolonged interactions? Be honest with yourselves. Or how many feel people have made judgments about you based on surface interactions? Or, sur- or prolonged interactions. But we never take the time to really see the person, to know their story. So we go on harboring sometimes very incorrect thoughts and attitudes that probably would radically change if we really took the time to see the other. Everyone has a story. Everyone. Community starts by learning the story of those around us. Or at least trying to learn the story of those around us. You know, you hear me week in and week out use other people's stories help us understand them or help us understand something I'm teaching. For a year, I, I used Rich's story. When Jonathan Shipman used to be a regular here, I used to use his cystic fibrosis story. When Cana first started, I would use Linda's and Bob's story. I've often used Karen and Robert's story and the loss of their grandson. Do you know those stories? Maybe just because I've talked about them, but if you don't know more of them, get to know those stories. But, how about this? How many of you really see me? You know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've often heard things about me. Sometimes people just say it right to me or sometimes I hear it from other people and I'm always bothered. Because <laughs> I hear things like, oh David, he's got such great faith. And, and uh, Sometimes I hear I've got this perfect family and a great marriage and my kids are amazing. I hear these things and the first thing I, I get all worried about is that I hope I haven't promoted that narrative. I do my best here at Canaan to be open. But you know, from the pulpit you can only be so open. And I don't want to promote that narrative. That's a false narrative. It's not true. I started uh, teaching at Cana 10 years ago. And it came out of a calling to preach this gospel that is beautiful and different than the gospel I grew up with. It was a calling to let people know that grace wins, that God loves everybody and grace wins. And you heard me 
through those early years of Cana, and I would constantly teach and preach about, listen, love wins. No matter how dark it gets, darkness is not the answer. It's not the final story. Life is, and light is. And for about the first six years of Cana, I taught that out of passion, out of being filled with the spirit, out of study. out of seeing it in other people's stories. For the last four years, it's been different. Some of you who have been here for long enough know sometimes I teach and I get really, you can see my emotions. Sometimes it's subtle, my eyes just get watery, sometimes my voice cracks. I'm not a televangelist. I'm not doing that because I'm a good actor and I'm trying to create emotion and manipulate you into believing the gospel. I'm doing it because the last four years have been the darkest four years of my family's life. I described it to a mental health professional this way. I feel like I'm in the deep end of a pool treading water and I can't reach the sides and I don't know if the next time I go under, I'll come back up. In this darkness my family's in isn't going anywhere. And it hasn't just affected us as individuals, it's affected our relationships. And so when I stand here on Sunday mornings, sometimes I stand here and I get all emotional because I am so convinced of our singular hope of resurrection because it's got me through that week leading up to this Sunday. And I get so excited and I want you to know it. That when I meet with you or I stand here and I look you in the eye and I say, listen, darkness is not the answer and it's not the end of the story. I'm not saying it because it's something I read because that's the only reason I'm standing here. I know it to be true. Other Sundays, I, I get here and I get emotional because I almost didn't make it to the Sunday and then to hear those words again about light winning. Oh, I need it. And that's why I get excited and passionate. And I start talking about forgiving our enemies and loving them and it's because it works, because I've been there. And then other times, you'll come to the communion table and I'll be blubbering and crying because I'm just trying to hold on. That's my story. That's our story. And I need you. You don't understand how important this community is to me and my family. I love what I do, and I won't stop doing this. Dave and I talk about it all the time. If it's just Dave playing guitar and me preaching to me, and I'll do it. But just being in these chairs week after week, you don't know what that does for me and my family. It's
community is powerful. You're committed to being here together. And so when I walk in, and if it's a day that I'm all excited because God has just been, I have allowed the Holy Spirit to just remind me of how true this gospel is, and I'm excited, yes, they're here, and we're going we're gonna to remember this together again. And it fills me with such hope. Or other weeks I come and I am just trying to get through it all, and then I see people, yes, other people with stories as dark as mine or darker are here too because they believe it's not the end. Oh, and it's so empowering. This is why we need the wisdom of the writer of Hebrews. And I'd like this to sink in. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Maybe when you wake up on a Sunday morning or maybe come Wednesday or Thursday and you're like, oh, Sunday, I'm going to do this or I want. Don't underestimate the power of your presence in the life of other people in this community. Maybe you don't need each other. Maybe you don't need me, but I need you. And maybe that person in the row in front of you that you don't even know and don't want to know needs you. And maybe, just maybe, when love is dominating our lives, that's much more important than anything else we could be doing. Maybe. Maybe getting to know each other's stories and being there for them. I was standing in the back of church last week during worship and I get to see things and I saw one of our people in community reach back and comforting and holding the hand of someone else during the worship songs. And I thought, yeah, that's community. And I don't know them as friends. I don't think they are friends. But I think one of us was open to someone else's story at that moment that needed that. That's pushing into community. This writer's words may be ancient, but they are as necessary today as they were then. We need each other. And when we forsake gathering together Sunday mornings or any time of the week, we can be wont to give it all up. I know that feeling. I'm just like you guys. We're all in this together. We all have our stories. And so when you're quick to make a judgment, don't. When you're quick to think, oh, that person is aloof or too busy for me, 
Maybe not. Maybe they're in a dark place and need understanding and time. Or maybe they just really are busy. But I think if we can push into community, this is exactly what I think church at its most authentic is. The coming together so we know we are not alone. The joining of hearts and hands and minds on a regular basis to encourage one another. Rich, Rich got through this last year because he had a community supporting him. Jennifer's uncle Cooch is here, who has had the darkest year someone could have. He didn't get through it alone, did you, Uncle Cooch? You had Jesus and you had a community. None of us can get through it alone. And if you're one of those people who are blessed that you've never been in a dark place in your life, then listen to other people's stories and help them. Don't judge them for being in a dark place. They need to know you believe in resurrection so they can believe in resurrection. That's why I come here each week to let you know I believe in resurrection. You can too. And some weeks I come because I don't and I need you to remind me I can too. Church is gathering to spur each other onward, to speak love and hope and unity into lives that are often too wary to remember such wonderful ideals. When church is at its best, it is there for us. It is the people, not the building, not the agenda, not the system, but the people. People who have been beat up and beat down, people who have fought but have grown weary, People who are misaligned, people who are misunderstood, and sometimes just plain missed. People who need people. That's what community is. And so we come together. We sing songs to each other. We tell other our stories. We read our ancient scriptures. We celebrate the Eucharist. And we are encouraged to keep the faith to run the race, to hope in the promise that life is the final word. Death may meet us each day of the week, but once a week or more, we gather and speak life into each other and go back into our world, restored, inspired, and holding firm to the hope of life. This is what community is, and it begins by seeing each other. Now, I know... Some will argue, but hey, David, you know, if people don't want to tell their story and share a relationship, there's nothing I can do. Okay, I hear that, but here's the thing. Let's all be honest about this. Most of us just don't blurt out our stories. Our stories have taken a lifetime to become our stories. Most of us don't get to stand here and share about what's going on. And more importantly, we all have fears and walls of protection. We have to protect ourselves because we've been hurt so much. I get it. So I just want to encourage us. It takes people time to open up. And that's what pushing into relationship is. Being relentless. 
and pushing in. And when people push you away, it's okay. Remember they have a story. Maybe that's why they're pushing you away. And for those of us that don't like to tell our stories, I want to encourage you, tell your stories. Get courageous. Trust. Yeah, people will let us down. So what? God won't. Tell our stories. Don't be afraid. Especially when you know someone's ready to listen. Don't be afraid. Community begins with sharing our own stories. And the fact is, community requires divine love for others. And if we are ever going to love others, it starts by seeing them. Really seeing them. So I am praying that we all would continue to push into relationship, push into this greatest commandment to love others. That's what community is. I pray we would push into building authentic community. We all need it. We all need it. I'm going to play this song now in closing. And I want you to allow it to be three different voices. First, I want you to be, be able to understand this is how God feels about us. And that's going to be radical for some of us who struggle with how much God loves us. But I am telling you, if this guy didn't write the song, God would. This is not this guy singing it. It's a cover. I, think. I like it better than the original. But the guy who wrote the song, if he didn't write it, God would have written it about us. He did. That's the Bible. That's the cross. So first, allow yourself to know this is how much God loves us. But then I want it to sit in you and think, boy, who do I think this way about? And we'll all have people we think this way about. Our kids, especially if we have kids. And if we're young and still filled with romance, maybe, maybe our mother. And Rob is smiling because he still feels that way. 30, 40, 50 years later. <laughs> and I'm not saying we all don't, but I'm just saying, think about who you love this way. And then the third and final thing is this. Can you Think of everyone in your community this way. As I suggest to you, until we do, we won't have to.
Keep me.